We are Allie and Erica, certified integrative nutrition health coaches in gut and hormone health and the hosts of the podcast, Courageous Wellness. We are committed to destigmatizing conversations in the wellness space and celebrate the experiences and lessons of our guests in pursuit of physical, emotional, and spiritual wellness. Listen to Courageous Wellness wherever you get your podcasts with fresh episodes every Wednesday. Hey, I'm Ashley Lemieux, and I'm here to help you uncover the greatest power in your life. You! After going on my own healing journey, I realized I was looking for the wrong thing, a way out. But I didn't need a way out. What I really needed was a way in, to fully uncover who I am. Each week, I'll be sharing tangible tools and inspiring interviews to help you create a clear pathway forward in areas of your life that you might feel stuck or overwhelmed in. I'm not here to be the expert on your life. You are. What I want is to help you believe that. So get ready to reframe your thoughts, reimagine your future, and reclaim your power. Are you ready? I am. Hey guys, we have a really exciting interview today that I am so excited that you guys are joining me for. I want to preface this by saying that over the past probably a year and a half now, something that has been really hard for me and something that has been really important for me in my healing journey is learning how to feel safe with myself again, feel safe in my body, be able to trust myself. And I talk about my healing journey so much and I get so many questions about how do you feel safe in your body after you feel like your body has betrayed you or after you've gone through trauma and things just feel just feel really hard and you don't know how to process it. After I had my miscarriage and after I went septic last year, I it has been a real struggle for me really trying to figure out how I can feel safe with myself again. And I just want you to know that if you are in the situation from whatever circumstance has surrounded you feeling unsafe in your body, I want you to know that after trauma, that feeling is so normal. And there's also healing and tools and things that are available to all of us so that we can feel more safe. And today I have Dr. Hillary McBride here with us to talk about this, to talk about that feeling of I am safe with myself and how we can get there. Dr. McBride is a psychologist and she specializes in trauma and relationships with our bodies. Uh, She actually has a new book coming out that we're gonna talk about that I'm so excited to read because it's all about the wisdom of your body and how to find healing and wholeness and connection through embodied living. Dr. McBride, I am so hyped (laughs) to have you today. Thank you for for being here and, and talking with us. Oh, thank you, Ashley, for having me. And I'm I'm equally hyped to be having this conversation <laughs> with you. So the the enthusiasm is resonant with me as well. I think that this conversation is so important for so many people. And mm-hmm. I also feel like it's something that can be very misunderstood or feel very overwhelming to try to get into or learn more about mm-hmm. and that not a ton of people are talking about. So I would love to know, and maybe this is where we start. I would love to know what pushed you or inspired you 
to get into this work specifically of embodiment and mm-hmm. of feeling of helping and, and empowering people to feel safe with themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that because so much of the stuff that drives us as researchers, as clinicians is personal. There's something in this, in my own story. I didn't just wake up one day, one day and decide I'm going to start studying embodiment. I actually came to it through my own story and struggle. So I had an eating disorder for a number of years and, and that used to be, uh, that used to be the way that I identified myself and, And now it's actually, when I think about it, it's kind of like a footnote in the story because my journey to understand what healing is feels like it's so much more important for who I am and what I, what I bring to this world. So there are so many more details if we were talking about eating disorders that I could get into, but really that, that kind of sets the stage to say, I was at war with my body for a very, very long time to the point that really, I was trying to kill my body. I was trying to kill myself slowly over time to make my body disappear. That to me feels like the best way to characterize what was going on with the eating disorder. And through recovery, I decided at some point, you know, I think I want to go back to school and become a therapist. I want, I want to sit with other people who are in pain because, and it's kind of two, two reasons. One, I think that there's more conversations about the body to be had in conversations about mental health and trauma and suffering. But two, I had some really bad therapists, or maybe I should say some therapists who were very unskilled, who I feel like did more harm in my life than good. And I remember thinking, if I'm irritated and I'm not even trained, like maybe I know something about how this could be different. There's a kind of some something intuitive going on here. So went back to school and really thought in my research of body image, which is what I was studying at that time, that if I could understand how we could have a positive body image, that would be one of the things that would be the key to understanding how we could prevent eating disorders or treat eating disorders. If you know, if we could just get the image in our minds about our bodies straight, then We could be confident, empowered, moving through the world without this kind of burden, some narrative that we're carrying around. In the research of body image, what I found though, is that as much as body image is a helpful way of thinking about our appearance, we are so much more than appearance. Our bodies are not just these images that we carry around, that we present to the world or that we see in the mirror looking back to us. So if our body is not just an image, then what is it, right? And how do we connect to our body in a way that transcends this focus on, well, how do I look or how do I not look? Because there's, there is so much more to our existence, to our bodily selves than just how we appear, So what I found in the literature is that seeing, and in my master's research and my doctoral research, what I found is that in seeing our bodies as more than appearance, even if we just have like, you know, we have an old script running in our head about our image, it's really such a small piece of how we see ourselves that we can outweigh it with this other more loving, more compassionate, more connected relationship to ourselves. So we don't necessarily change our body image by repeating affirmations in the mirror or um, just kind of like hammering home a new message. We widen the scope of how we understand our bodies and we learn to relate to ourselves in a whole new way. And that's kind of where all of this started for me. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, 
That's really incredible. I love hearing instances like in stories like yours where you're in the situation and, and I heard you say, you asked yourself, could there be, could there be a better way than this? And based off of your personal experience and knowing what it was that you needed and that you weren't finding it, mm-hmm. you then internalize that to ask, well, is this something that I can do and figure out and then offer? Mm. And I just think, I think that on the healing journey, that is such a pivotal marker of healing when you can take those things that you feel like have weighed you down for Mm -hmm. so long and it becomes something that actually starts propelling you forward because your relationship with it changes and then you're able to impact others with it. And that's exactly what you're doing. And what you do so well, like it is. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for seeing that in me. And I see that in you too. Thank you. And it's hard. Like, it's not, like the work that, and I'm not going to speak for you, but I know for me, the work that I do, it's still hard. I, I, I know mm. that healing is so critical and I believe in everything that I'm doing. And still, I struggle. Still, mm-hmm. I have these thought patterns sometimes creep back in. And, and still, there's, there's just these things that we that I struggle with. And so I think sometimes when people are going on their healing journey, it can be easy to, to look at someone like you and think, well, she's here because she has it all figured out Mm. or because she doesn't struggle in any certain way. And Mm -hmm. she's just made it for me in actuality, I still struggle. And, and, but healing allows you to keep moving forward and start reframing things and and start interacting with things and people and including yourself differently. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what embodiment is? Mm -hmm. What does the word embodiment mean (laughs) and why is it important for us? Yeah, I love that. You know, it's so important that we define it too, because it's kind of all over the place. Like I hear people talk about or use the word embodiment to reference, uh, you know, a person who lives their value. So someone who's really in their skin, in their behavior, doing and living and showing up in, in all of the ways that they talk about or that they idealize intellectually. So we hear someone say like, wow, they really embody the qualities of a good leader, or they embody, you know, all the things that they're preaching about on Sunday morning or whatever it is. But that I want to step kind of adjacent to that and say the kind of embodiment that I'm talking about moves just beyond like the integration of ideas into the experience of being a body. So most of us in Western cultures think of ourselves as minds being carried around by bodies. We even you, we see this in our language. We say things like, oh, my body wouldn't such and such today, or my body was so bad, or like it, it's not performing. It didn't want to get out of bed or mind over matter, right? So we have these divisions that separate mind from body and we believe not by any fault of our own, that we are our minds, that we are our thoughts alone without understanding that our thoughts are actually situated in flesh, in a body that interacts with the world. So when I'm talking about moving beyond body image to embodiment, what I'm saying is that we are remembering that we are not just how we think about our bodies, but we are our bodies. So how I exist as a body shapes 
everything about how I interact with the world. And people who live in marginalized bodies know this better than anybody else because just because they're getting up in the morning because of the color of their skin, their size, their level of ability, uh, the way that they express their sexuality, the world sends a message back to them and says, you're good, you're not good, you should go away, there's more of you. So it's not just right? It's not just um, the, the thoughts that we have about ourselves. It's how we experience ourselves as a body in a world that's also giving us messages back about what's valuable and what's not valuable. And that shapes the way that we understand and experience ourselves. So the definition I love to use for embodiment, and this comes from scholars whose uh, work has really informed my research, the experience of being a body engaging with the social world. So instead of just being a mind that has a body, we experience ourselves as a body. And the distinction here is like, uh, instead of just thinking about it being noon and so I should eat, I experience my hunger. And I notice when I look in the fridge, ooh, like a little bit of excitement when I see, you know, that, oh, I could make something out of that, you know, that soup that's left over and the, you know, whatever the ingredients are. Like we're, we're paying attention to the information that our body is giving us and allowing it to guide us into wholeness, into a description of who we are, into more engagement with the world and with our relationships. But, and here's the kind of the sociopolitical angle, we're seeing that the information that our body gives us about who we are is situated in a context where we're getting messages back about what's valuable or not. And embodiment is the experience of that whole dance, all of it together. So as we're all receiving messages, and, and as you talked about marginalized bodies, um, some, some people get more messages and more damaging messages mm -hmm. than others. And it, and it, it, creates this experience for us of of what it's like to be in our bodies and exist in the world with mm -hmm. our bodies and so each of us have a different experience yes so so i know that the messages that we're receiving contribute to our the embodiment of ourselves and, mm -hmm. and how we're feeling are there other things that also contribute like what else could get in the way of me knowing that it's noon and that I'm hungry. And so I just automatically go eat, but I'm not really allowing myself to feel that hunger or I'm not uh -huh. really connecting to myself in that way. And I do keep it mind over matter. Mm -hmm. What other things prevent us from full embodiment? Because I feel yes. like this is really important. Mm -hmm. I think you hit right on something that needs to be talked about so much. So well, well, well timed, well phrased question. The way that I would think about it as a psychologist is dissociation. Dissociation gets in the way. And dissociation is a neurochemical, neurophysiological process in which we become separated from ourselves. It's almost like we have two kind of two selves that exist inside of us, kind of all of this bodily wisdom. And then a kind of separation between our intellect and our thoughts and the way we know ourselves. And we learn that separation because we've had experiences 
that our body is unsafe, that our body is not good, that our body can't be trusted. And we learn to sever the connection inside of ourselves that keeps our mind and our body in a constant dance with itself. So that could be trauma, right? That could be experiences where we're actually told from caregivers or our you know, our, our peer group or media or whatever, don't listen to your body, your body's bad, shove down that knowing, shove down the hunger cues, shove down the emotion, shove down the sensation, shove down the impulse to move and run because you need to sit in that work meeting all day long. So like make that thing go away. So we have, you know, tra- traumatic experiences, but then we also have experiences of, of wanting to belong or wanting to do something in a society that tells us your body's really this kind of thing that gets in the way of you succeeding and thriving. So, you know, don't connect to it. Don't listen to it. Stop paying attention to those messages. And as a result, we get further and further away from ourselves. It is absolutely possible to heal, like you mentioned in your introduction to the podcast, but we don't have a lot of just easily accessible social information that tells us how to do that. And in fact, we're often very well rewarded for being disconnected from our bodies because then we can suppress our hunger cues and we can, you know, fit into those genes or whatever the, you know, the advertisement said, or we can, we can be more productive and efficient at work because we're working long hours and we're not paying attention to how much our back hurts sitting in the chair or whatever the thing is. So we get rewarded for being disconnected. But we miss wholeness, we miss wisdom, we miss connection to ourselves, identity, we miss the ability to connect to and feel with other people. So really to to connect again, we need to be doing trauma work, we need to be slowing down, we need to be talking to ourselves as bodies and apologizing for all of the ways that we've participated in the self-separation. And we need to build new social structures that don't reinforce separation with the self as being a good thing so what is that so i so i wake up this morning mm-hmm. and i'm dissociated from my body i i i feel disembodied i'm mm-hmm. i just i'm in my normal routine of i go to work <laughs> i do this thing i go eat when i need to i am hearing all this feedback from everyone about myself all day mm-hmm. for everyone listening and, and they're feeling this disconnection or, and, and sometimes you, you might not even be aware of it yes, at first because exactly. it's become such a habit in our lives that we're just kind of used to feeling like crap all the time. That's something that uh-huh. I've realized as I've done the trauma work and done these things is now that I feel better and I look back to how I was, I'm like, oh my yes. gosh, how was I freaking living through that. Like, (laughs) how was I functioning every day? And oh my Uh gosh, body, I'm so proud of us for doing that. But oh my gosh, I'm also so sorry that you had to do that for so long. But it, but it takes feeling better. I think sometimes to realize Uh where you were. Yeah. Or being around other people Yes, who are like living in a different way. And you're like, what? I, it can be like, what's like, happening. What? Like, oh, yes, that's such, such a, a good point. So for those people who are listening, who are like, man, I, I want, mm. I want to feel more connected. I, I want to find more healing and wholeness and connection to myself and to other people. What are tangible things 
that we can start doing when we're waking up in the every day mm-hmm. to invite this feeling and this forward movement into our lives? Yes, I love that question. And I, I will just say that I love that question because in introducing the idea of embodiment, it is still so thought-based for most of us. Like you and I can have this totally disembodied conversation about embodiment because we're sitting here, right? Sedentary (laughs) on the computer. Like I can't reach out and grab your arm and be like, I I really resonate with that point. Or like, we're not on a walk having this conversation. Like it's, it is still, because we're such a cerebral disembodied culture, it's often through our minds that we go in through our body. It's we have to like use the place that we exist as the open door to get back into ourselves. So I think it's okay that we're in our minds most of the time talking about this, but I just, I'm so grateful that you prompted a conversation about getting back in. So the first thing that I want to say is we don't become disembodied in a moment. And so we're not going to find our way back to our bodies in a moment either. Mm. That relationship with ourself is a lifelong arc that we take. It is the longest, most important, first and best relationship we'll ever have, the one we have with ourselves. And it is okay if we find ourselves disconnected from ourselves at some point and then weave our way back because we always were born embodied. Everybody is born knowing how to be connected to their bodies. That is our birthright, is our mother tongue. So we don't have to learn anything new. We just have to remember. And it's okay if that remembering is slow. And I, wanna, I want to lay that as a foundation for this because dis, the disconnection can be so profound that it can take a long time to come back. And it can often be very scary to come back because we often encounter the very reason we left our bodies in the first place. When we are reconnecting, we feel all the sensation, kind of like you're alluding to, like, wow, I was carrying all of that around, or like, it was that awful to be in my body. Like, oh, and I, because I was disconnecting from myself. When we reconnect, we often feel the feelings. We remember the trauma. Uh, we experience the way we don't fit into our social context because Uh, That's all they're waiting for us as the thing that got so loud that we had to leave our body to survive. So coming back can be difficult. It can be painful, but it is also so joyful. It is so important and it is part of becoming whole again. That's my preamble. So the first thing that I'll say is like, let's slow down. When we are up in our heads, we're often moving a million miles a minute. If we take a moment bring our attention into our body and slow down for just a minute. There is a million sensations that are available to us to check in with. And sometimes there's so many sensations that we don't know how to direct our attention towards it. And it feels like, whoa, we get flooded. It's overwhelming. So I say, pick one, like maybe for you, um, it's your hands going into your hands and maybe just Noticing, how do my hands feel this morning? Maybe wiggling your fingers around, maybe even like grabbing one of your hands in the other and giving yourself a little palm rub as a way to say, good morning, self, right? How does that feel? And for me often, because I have chronic pain in my body, when I first wake up in the morning, it is so easy for me to draw my attention to where I feel pain. And so I actually, for a long time, have been disconnected from our body because I don't want to feel the pain. So... 
what I do is I first thing in the morning, I look for a sensation that's pleasurable. I notice, ooh, my, my feet feel so snugly in my socks. <laughs> and I just wiggle my toes around and I just really bring my attention into my feet to sense how, how are my feet in my socks feeling? Or I give a good stretch to my body. I say, good morning, right? Thank you. So slowing down, giving yourself something to focus on, and it could be a sensation that's neutral or positive or something that just kind of is there and you notice it. Okay, pain, I see you this morning. I hear you. Thanks for telling me what's going on. And morning can be a great time, but if we if we move back, morning might not be the best time for you know parents or people who are on the go or have diff- different work schedules or there's like mornings are rushed or painful or whatever it is. So picking a time of the day, maybe it's lunchtime, where you decide, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna eat a little bit slower, and I'm gonna notice about halfway into my meal how hungry and how full I still am, and I'm just gonna check in and. I just want to add right here because I love what you're saying about eating and mealtime. For me, this past year and a half, I learned how to cook for literally the first time in my life. I was always eating. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I was always eating on the go and my eating was always really rushed. It was something that was more of an annoyance or... Uh it was just rushed and and I was never paying attention. And then I would choose foods that made me not feel good the rest of the day, Mm -hmm. but I just needed to make the feeling of hunger just go away. And and that was it. And this past year and a half, as I've learned to cook and as I've learned what makes my body feel good. And as I touch the foods and as I smell the foods and, and as I have this whole experience around breakfast and lunch and dinner. And sometimes it's faster than others, obviously, right? Like it doesn't need to be this hour long course that I'm making. It could be five minutes this morning. I had time to make a smoothie, but still I'm, I'm touching and I'm intentional. And then I allow myself to just sit and give myself that permission and that time to enjoy my food and to smell it and to feel it go into my body. And I just love that you brought that up because for whatever reason, when I started doing that, that became this huge turning point in my journey Mm -hmm. when I was allowing myself to feel good things go into my body Mm-hmm. And then feel how good my body felt. Like it really helped my connection yes. with, with myself. Of so course I love did. that you brought that up because that yeah. has been so big for me. Well, think about, think about it this way. We have seen the mind and the body as separate from each other. So we, you know, we are our thoughts as our cultural story goes. And our body is this thing that our thoughts are carried around by. And these two things are at war with each other. And they're separate. And we've been made to believe that they're enemies. So if all of a sudden you start feeding yourself, it is like you're holding out an olive branch to yourself. Because in what relationship, right, if you, if I, if anyone is ignoring, uh, disconnecting, silencing, um, being angry at constantly, like directing all of this uh, criticism towards, is that, is that person going to trust you and want to be close to you and work for your good? Like in no relationships, that's abusive, right? That's harmful to the nature of the relationship to ignore someone consistently and to shame them anytime they speak up. No. 
So if we're doing that to our bodies, no wonder whenever we tune into our bodies, our bodies are going to be like, uh, excuse me, here's all this information. And like, wh- like what you think I'm going to help you? No, I'm going to start breaking down because I'm worn out from all of this abuse. So to start paying attention to your body and I'm at, like feeding yourself and slowing down and preparing these beautiful offerings of meals is like you sitting down with this person you've been made to believe is your enemy and saying, can we have a meal together? I'd love to hear your story. And you know what? I'm so sorry that I felt that way and said those things. Can we eat together? Can we get to know each other? And no wonder you're going to feel more whole because you have this, all of this other element of yourself on board with you working together, creating this more complex, beautiful, nuanced, sensual, rooted, wise experience of living. So I think that the nourishing of yourself is this reparative act that says, I'm not going to be your enemy anymore, and I'm not going to believe that you are mine. And that's how we become embodied, right? That's when we have been disembodied, we take these slow, small steps. And you, there was something subtle that you said too that I wanted to pull out about like preparing the food and the aromas and the, you know, this luxurious meal, the whole course our bodies are interacting with our environment in such a way that is giving us feedback about what we like. So if we smell something, that's an experience of embodiment too. And if we slow down to enjoy the smell, someone else might not love the smell in the same way that we do, or it might not have memories associated with it for them like it does for us. That smell and the feeling it wakes up in us is an embodiment practice. The ability of touching your food and noticing what what kind of things you like to touch, the textures, what feels good in your fingers, what feels good in your mouth, these are embodiment practices. And the ability to really pay attention and enjoy being a body is one of the best, most loving gifts that we can give ourselves. So if making a meal and eating it is your embodiment practice, you, Ashley, or anyone listening, like, go for it. This is like, we do it so many times a day. What a great entry point into remembering our bodies are good and deserve to be fed. Yeah. Something that's interesting that has also happened to me, and if we take this food, for example, now that I enjoy my food and making it so much, I now love hosting and making it for other people, which is, I'm telling you, I'm like, I'm like the girl, I'm the first weekend my husband and I were married, I tried to make him breakfast. I I set off the fire alarms in the little casita that we were renting because I burned every single thing. Like that's my experience with food. Wow. And so I, I just bring this point up to say, when we start embodying ourselves and we connect with ourselves, it's helped me so much more to connect to other people because Mm -hmm. it's really, I think sometimes, and I could be wrong, but at least for me, when I feel disconnected with myself, it's really hard for me to connect with others. I feel alone. I feel isolated. I feel Mm -hmm. shame. I feel all of those things that put a barrier between me and the rest of the world. And so me doing this work for myself has also helped my, my relationships. And I think that that's a beautiful part of all of this work. Yes. Also. So right. And wow. I so resonate. Like when I am 
the most disconnected from myself, I am often isolating myself or have felt isolated from other people. And so there is this like separation on separation on separation. Like no wonder there's so much suffering that we're carrying around inside of ourselves if there's that many layers of fragmentation or like splitting or disconnection that's happening. But I think, and I'll just say two things about this. I could talk really at length about this because it feels like one of the most important parts about embodiment for me. Um, The first thing, we are wired to be in connection with each other. Our bodies are meant to respond and sense what is happening in other bodies. That is actually the root of empathy, is us feeling inside of us, our emotions, that get stirred, that are resonant in response to somebody else's feeling. It's not an intellectual exercise to do empathy. It It is a sensory and embodied emotional exercise. And the reason for that is something we call mirror nerve. Neurons. There's a section in our brain that is meant to light up and activate sensation in us that we see in the other person's body. It's why we yawn when we see someone else yawn. It's because we're connected to each other. And then the second thing is that it is so much more enjoyable to share a feeling with another person. This is like one of those points that is really proof that we're wired to connect to each other. When we feel alive, how much better is it to share it with somebody else? What makes us feel alive? When someone else is sad, how much better is it for us to be in it with them than to cause them to be alone in their pain? Like there's something in us, like, I don't know, this, uh, the, the first example that comes to mind is seeing someone crying on the street the other day. I was driving in the car and I saw someone crying and I didn't know them and I didn't know what the story was. I assumed they'd gotten bad news or just come out of a difficult appointment or something. And I, I, there was nowhere for me to pull over, but everything in my body wanted to pull over and go to that person and go, are you okay? Tell me what's happening, right? Because something in me knew it would be better for all of us if this person was not alone with their feeling. And we see this in the interpersonal neurobiology literature all the time, that our feelings, that our experiences are meant to be held by others so that they get seen and known and digested and processed and celebrated and witnessed. And so it, our bodies are constantly telling us, you don't have to do this alone and it is better to do it together. And if we listen to that, that feeling, like you were saying, the excitement of wanting to share, that's what that information is telling you. It's saying you were meant, you were meant to be connected to your people. That's so cool. It's so cool mm-hmm. that there's like actual science yes, I know. behind the, the feelings and the emotions that yeah. we have. It's so cool to learn about all of that. And I actually, this, what you just said, uh, has me wanting to ask you a question, which is, do you think that people feeling disembodied is a big reason why getting on social media can be so, I don't even know the word for it. There can be just so much anger Mm. and hatred toward each other. And I I feel like, I don't know, from communication Mm -hmm. and comments or, or just how people are interacting online, yeah. Are, are things like that a, a response for to disembodiment or is it yeah. different or it's just what I keep thinking about? Yeah. You're wondering, like, it's so intuitive. There's a, I can hear in you a sense that these are somehow connected, but like, what's the connection <laughs> right? between like, them? Right? Like, tell me the yeah. connection. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I think like our, our emotions live in our body. Emotions are not just an intellectual process. They're a series of sensations that are, are there to mobilize us into action. So, Emotion is sensation. It is a bodily process. 
But if we are not connected to our bodies, if our minds are not aware of what's happening in our bodies, if we don't know how to sense and use that information, we do not know how to regulate those emotions. So they come up and they drive us into really kind of interesting, often unhelpful, unhealthy patterns of behaviors because they're the thing that is pushing us without us consciously being aware of it. So we impulsively, we, we see something, we get angry, we get really frustrated and we just, you know, we type in the comment without thinking like, what's going on for me? Can I slow down and just notice my anger? What does my anger tell me about what's important to me? What does my anger tell me about what I'm scared about? What does my anger remind me of in my own story that maybe is telling me that what that person's saying is threatening? And can I tune into that before I respond to the other person in haste? But if we are not paying attention to our bodies, one, we don't even know that that stuff is going on. And two, we don't know how to care for ourselves in such a way that that response, the emotional response leads us into deeper connection to ourselves and other people. So the emotion is there driving the impulsive behavior. And yeah, we just kind of like fire things off without being really thoughtful about them. So again, the, the point here is not that we uh, ignore our emotion or are totally um, beholden to it exclusively. It's that we are in connection with ourselves in a slow way where thought and sensation get to be married together and we get to discern and extrapolate and sit with and tune into all the things that are happening in us to allow us to decide is this the kind of thing that I need to respond to? Or is this the kind of thing I actually need to talk about in therapy because it's reminding me of a trauma I had in my life? But we can't do that if our minds and our bodies are disconnected because we're just reacting constantly. That's so good. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. I, yeah. <laughs> there's a meditation that I recently started doing. And mm -hmm. in it, it says some, I can't remember word for word, but it says something to the effect of, I trust myself and my body because my body is my longest ally or something yes. to that yes. effect. And I heard that the other night for the first time and I was like, oh my gosh, my body's mm. my ally. I, I am mm -hmm. my body and, yes. and I am for myself. I am for myself and I'm yes. safe with myself. And yes. for me coming into this remembering of that uh, has, mm -hmm has been really important for mm. me on my journey. You have a new book coming out yeah. October 12th, which is one week from today, the day that this is airing. You guys are listening to this one week from when Dr. McBride's new book, The Wisdom of Your Body comes out, which I honestly cannot wait to read. Can you tell everyone who's listening more about your book and, mm -hmm. and how it could help them right now? Absolutely. Yeah. So the book is, is a mix of my story of coming into my body research. So some of these like really cool scientific facts that we were talking about just now that remind us like, oh, the things that we knew intuitively are not just uh, nebulous in the ether kind of abstract ideas. They're like, we've got some hard science to prove them. And then applications and stories and things that you can do to drill this all down into your bodily experience. So a mix of all of those things. And what I'm trying to do with the book is explain what is embodiment, how we become disembodied, and then look at all of the slices of life where we have learned to mistrust ourselves, to believe that our bodies are bad, but actually to flip it and go, 
No, no, those are spaces where our body is telling the truth, where our body is teaching us about how to be wise. So I look at trauma and I've had a number of traumatic experiences. I talk about one of them in the book where uh, I was in a really serious car accident for which I got a PTSD diagnosis and how we can look at trauma and the way that our bodies respond to trauma and, and easily culturally say, my body's the problem. Look, it keeps remembering. It's having all this anxiety. It, like I can't do the things I used to do and actually flip it and go, whoa, those are spaces where my body is speaking up about what was scary for me and how I need to heal. So some of those slices, oppression and marginalization, trauma, pain, body image, uh, spirituality, uh, like all emotion, so many of these places where we've been told your body is bad and here's the proof. You get sick, you're in pain, you look a certain way, people say things about your body and reorienting us to see that the stories that we heard about our bodies were the problem, but our bodies have never been the problem and they have always been telling the truth about how to be fully us, how to find our way home, uh, how to be connected to each other and how to know who we really are. Hillary, this is literally life-changing work that wow. you're doing. And I'm just so Oof. grateful for the journey that you've found the bravery to go on yourself mm. so that you can help all of us wow. who are finding our bravery to go on it too. So I just want to thank you for this. I'm I'm so, I, I keep saying I'm so excited, but I don't know a bigger word than that. I'm so <laughs> excited for this book for myself and then for every other person who gets who gets to read it and go through it where can people go and buy this right now yeah so basically any store that you buy books at if you're wanting to figure out where to you know specifically or you want to figure out where some indie booksellers are you can always head to my website hillaryalmcbride.com and search uh, there are links there about where you can buy the book or your usual your usual bookstore buying places but i just i wanted to say thank you for your excitement and you know in ways that i'm so sad that you have to know that our world is not kind to bodily experiences that sit on the edge of our cultural discomfort right when we in when we face when we face and experience stories that fall outside of the script of what our culture wants for us as bodies, there is so much that we have to contend with. And so I see you as such a champion for us to, to carve out new body stories, uh, to have stories that are wider than the narrow ones that we've been given so that there is room for all of us to exist in wholeness, no matter what we're wrestling with, healing from, grappling with, moving into and so on. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Whether you know it or not, you are um, kind of an embodiment champion as well. Thank you. That's so that's so kind of you. Thank mm. you so much for joining us today. You guys go grab her new book, wherever books are sold online. If you pre-order it this week, again, it's called The Wisdom of Your Body by Dr. Hillary McBride. If you pre-order it this week, chances are probably high that you'll get it on release day in one week Ooh. so that, so you won't have to wait. You'll just, you'll have it. So go <laughs> grab it. And um, where can they come find you online? Yeah. So on Instagram, Hillary Leanna McBride. On Twitter, Hillary L. McBride. Uh, my website, HillaryLMcBride.com. And the good news for anyone who pre-orders it is that there's a link on my Instagram for where you can get access because of your pre-order code to a workshop that I'm doing about embodiment with practices. We'll get to hang out together end of October. And another thing that you'll find if you head over to my Instagram is a text 
I don't even really know what to call it. It's like like a text um, reminder situation is what I'm kind of calling it because I don't really know the right words <laughs> um, for just to get texts every once in a while starting October 5th for how to come back to your body because it's so hard to do this. Like we forget, like you said earlier, we're just in the rhythm of moving about our days in a disembodied way. And so if you want a prompt from me, just about how to tune into yourself. There's details there about how you can sign up. There's no strings attached. There's no kind of gimmick with it. It's really just, I want for you to tune into yourself. And we, we need a little help to do that sometimes. So Ooh, you can head over gonna, there and find that. I'm going, I'm <laughs> heading over there. That's, I mean, I, <laughs> that's powerful. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And you guys, we will see you next week. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of the I Am Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I love hearing from you online. So if there's something that really resonated with you, come and let me know. Share a screenshot of this podcast and tag me on Instagram at Ashley K. Lemieux so I can see what's impacting you the most. It might even help your friends. And remember, every time you ask yourself, am I really strong enough to do this? The answer is, I am. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.